This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while. I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing. Being bored is much better than being in intensive care. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing. And I'm Fran Kelly from RM Breakfast, and this week there's plenty of news around, but in fact, the fallout from that rape allegation in Parliament House is still dominating the news in Canberra, in particular questions around the government's handling of the initial allegation. But also, disturbingly this week, three more women have come forward with allegations against the man at the centre of this alleged crime, and yet another minister has admitted he was told of the allegations of this very serious crime, but didn't think to pass that on to the Prime Minister. That Minister is Peter Dutton. We're going to get back into this story this morning with our guest Sam Maiden from News Limited. Sam broke the story last week. Yes, and we'll have an extensive chat about that. But Fran, meanwhile, it's actually been quite a significant week on some other fronts, uh, policy fronts and government stability front as well. Mm-hmm. There was the announced rise in job seeker, that's the unemployment benefit, and this comes after a very, very long campaign calling for a rise in the new start rate, as it was used to be called. And then there's the other big story, Craig Kelly, the very controversial backbencher in the Liberal Party, deciding to quit the Liberal Party, announcing it in the Coalition Party room, and then the government having to mop up the mess of that decision. So, you know, it hasn't all just been about the other story, but it absolutely has just clouded everything that the government has done, this ongoing controversy around how it deals with um, issues of workplace culture and women. Mm. And, uh, you know, the government wouldn't mind having the Craig Kelly uh, resignation over cloud. I suppose that came out of the blue for the Prime Minister, we're told. He didn't know till Craig Kelly stood on his feet in the Liberal Party room and said, I'm out of here. Tensions between Craig Kelly, who's a Liberal backbencher, and the Prime Minister have been up in lights recently, PK. You remember the PM called him in for that carpeting over Craig Kelly's insistence on putting stories up on his social media, uh, advocating unproven, untested and even discredited treatments for COVID-19. The Prime Minister's office made sure we all knew about that dressing down. But it turns out now we've learnt there were other points of tension between Scott Morrison and Craig Kelly, uh, particularly over one of Craig Kelly's senior staff, a bloke called Frank Zumbo. Scott Morrison doesn't think much of him and he made that very clear some months ago, he told us, to Craig Kelly. Turns out a lot of women, young women in particular, who've worked as interns in Craig Kelly's office over the past five or six years didn't think much of Frank Zumbo either, and some have come forward now with allegations of unwelcome sexual and sleazy behaviour. In the current climate, what we've just been referring to here, that's really drawing some attention. But when I spoke to Craig Kelly this week on Breakfast PK, he's not too happy about all this. There's a salacious gossip, uh, which is little more than a salacious gossip magazine, printed about Mr Zumbo uh, late last week. He is now taking defamation action against that uh, publication for that. Uh, I've investigated those issues. Uh, I believe um, all my staff and all staff and all officers are entitled to procedural fairness and, and, of course, the presumption of innocence. And that salacious gossip magazine he was apparently referring to is The Guardian, PK. I mean, that was a pretty, I thought, a pretty poor response from Craig Kelly, particularly given the police have an apprehended violence order over Frank Zumbo right now that have come from some of the complaints from one young woman. And there's also an investigation, a formal investigation by the Finance Department. So it's a lot more than just gossip. But yeah. 
We can get into that further with Sam too. We can. In fact, I was listening to that interview, Fran, while making school lunches and look, I think the lunches were very good as a result. <laughs> I, I could not believe the way that he dismissed this as gossip. This is, as you say, an apprehended violence order. It was disgraceful. He's a member of parliament and he should be called out for it. And uh, I thought you were incredibly calm and cool in that interview and hats off to you because I don't know if I would have been able to hold that together. I I was really quite disturbed by how he was uh, treating this story in the way that He's running, um, you know, this uh, well, this defence for this man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's basically preferencing the version from his staff member to the mm. version that is now coming out through the Guardian and other places, and has been coming out and bubbling up for some years now uh, of the versions of the young women. Yeah, it's disgraceful. Look, let's just talk about Craig Kelly's defection, though, or, or decision to leave the party room, and whether it's a good or a bad thing for the government, because it's a bit column A and column B, right? This one, because. At the end of the day, Craig Kelly is a massive headache for the Prime Minister. He is just, every day he creates another controversy. He says something, he kind of disrupts the government messaging, particularly the public health messaging at a very crucial time when COVID-19 vaccines being rolled out, when there needs to be a very consistent health message. So not having him in the Liberal Party is actually weirdly probably very helpful for Scott Morrison. He doesn't have to... Uh, you know, bring him into his office again and he doesn't have to reprimand him. He doesn't have to really deal fundamentally with questions because he says oh, he's no longer in our party room. So there's some some easy parts there. But it does create – and the negative part is it is still a negative story for the government. He's a guy who was pre-selected as a Liberal, won the seat as a Liberal, has been a disruptor, um, has decided to leave, therefore taking a number away from the government yeah. on the House of Representatives floor. Now, he is going to provide – support and supply for the government and will always come on, right, vote with the government. He's a right winger. Like, he's not going to vote with Labor, is he? Well, I think that's what we're going to wait and see because I think, you know, the part B of this story you refer to is still of a hell of a big thing because, as we know, as as John Howard and famously said and others keep repeating, you know, politics is all about the maths, it's all about the arithmetic and the fact is that Craig Kelly leaving the party means the government has lost its, its working majority on the floor of the parliament. So it's, you know, that makes for a very unstable position which means it has to be managed. Every member has to be there for every vote. And it also means that others who might want to cause some trouble or push a particular barrow within the coalition, like Barnaby Joyce, like George Christensen, hasn't it just strengthened their hand too to cause trouble? Because if they threaten to cross the floor, then the government loses votes. So that becomes easier. So the negotiation with the crossbench has to now occur over every matter, and keeping the the troops happy inside has to be managed too. It's a management issue largely. There's not going to be some major loss of confidence in the government, I shouldn't think, but it's it's going to be a distraction. And I wouldn't put it past Craig Kelly to use a number of issues to raise his profile in these negotiations, threatening to vote against a government bill or, in fact, doing it. Because why has he done this, PK? He says he's done it so he can stay true to his conscience and keep on posting information about COVID treatments that he thinks people have the right and deserve to know. But has he also done it because he was about to lose pre-selection for the Liberal Party, which means if he chooses to run again in Hughes, in the seat of Hughes, he'll be doing it as an independent, 
And an independence only hope is to have a very high individual profile. And one way you can get that is by causing trouble. I, I do think that was his motivation. And I think you're right about strengthening the hand of the others. That does create a headache for the government as well, but it does also provide some relief at the same time. So both can, things can be true. That's the complexity of politics, I think. Yeah, sure. Um, Talking about bringing relief, there was another major policy announcement this week, uh, and that's changes to JobSeeker. This is the first time the JobSeeker payment, which was previously the New Start payment or the unemployment benefit, has had any kind of meaningful increase in over 30 years, which says something in itself. It's an increase announced by the government to the base rate of the payment of $50 a fortnight PK. But you have to keep in mind that that's actually a $100 a fortnight cut to the unemployment benefit people are getting right now. So people will see their payments drop when the COVID supplement ends at the end of March. Uh, and in real terms, uh, this is called a booster job seeker, but it amounts to the princely sum of around $3.60 a day. So, you know, don't spend it all at once. <laughs> yeah, don't go crazy. Look, yes, the government has made a decision, a, a really important decision to increase this this payment that needed desperately to be increased permanently. So sort of half a tick for, for going there. It's when, like the minimum that they could do in a way yeah, and get away with. So yeah. why did they choose that path? Well, they were always going to choose that path, weren't they? They are a conservative government. They have always been, um, I think, reluctant to move you know, on this. I think the pandemic has been really key to this decision. If we hadn't seen this pandemic, I think they would have continually kicked the can down the road on this issue. They have been withholding and, um, you know, standing up to the pressure from the business community as well as the welfare lobby and, and general community consensus that it's inadequate for a long time. And I think they would have continued on that path. COVID-19 and the crisis has changed the optics. They needed to do something. They couldn't go back to the old rate after having the boosted rate. But they just were never going to go to a generous increase, I think, because their view, you know, as fiscal conservatives, or or they were, (laughs) you can sort of debate whether they still are. (laughs) Okay, so let's park that. I don't want to be too contentious. But is you don't want to bake in a higher rate forever, which is what you do, obviously, when you make it permanent. They don't want to do that. But I personally think they have been, they've been cheap. I think they've been too cheap and I think they've been they should have gone further they should have made it a more meaningful increase they cite the reason that employers are telling them and it's very anecdotal but employers are telling them that job seekers are kind of refusing jobs uh, because of a more generous rate I want to see more evidence on that quite frankly yeah, I mean, I think this is a pandering to the base in the sense that there are a lot of um, conservative voters who don't think you should be giving more people, more money to people to not work. I mean, that's a sort of a, a, a as you would say, a baked in uh, attitude. And many of the people who apparently stood in the party room when this policy was presented, this was announced, were arguing against against that increase. Um, but uh, it just what surprises me is the government was only moving on this because this increase in New Start or now Job Seeker has been pushed for a lot of years by very credible economists, you know, leading economists like Chris Richardson, leading business groups, Jennifer Westacott from the Business Council of Australia have been pushing this need to increase the New Start rate for a long time. And their reason for doing it is not just about fairness, which is the reason the Reserve Bank Governor also joined this call for a lift in New Start, but because they said there was an economic rationale for it, that on the current rate of New Start, which was roughly 
probably, you know, $40 a day. People just don't have enough money to look after themselves properly, get a haircut, get a suit. So they can't go and get a job. They can't even sometimes afford the train fare to go for a job interview. So there's a structural impediment there. And also every dollar put into the hands of an unemployed person ends up as a stimulus in the economy. So there is an economic argument to it. I don't think increasing it from, you know, $40 a day to $44 a day is really going to satisfy those arguments, those reasons being put forward by the by the economists. No, and I put it to Anne Rustin, who I interviewed, who's the Social Services Minister, about what kind of impact losing some of this money out of the economy would have given we have had a boosted rate for the unemployment benefit, 2 million Australians relying on it and, and actually putting that money straight back into the economy, right? These people don't, don't save the money. You don't save your job seeker. You spend it. And when you spend it, more jobs are made. Like that's the fundamental economic proposition here, right? And she said that is not how you cons- we think of this policy. The policy does not exist as a stimulus and that's not in our thinking. But of course, you've got you to wonder, is it entirely really not in their thinking? Because at, at this time where the economy is struggling uh, because of the pandemic, it's a risky thing, isn't it, taking that much money out of the economy at this time? Yeah, but and there's an awful lot of stimulus that's going to go with the end of JobKeeper and JobSeeker. But the Reserve Bank Governor said he thinks it's only going to be a blip ultimately on the sort of the, the growth trajectory. So we'll see. There's others who think it might be a, a lot more serious than a blip. Blip or no blip or medium blip. Do you think we should go to our guest? Let's do it. <laughs> Samantha Maiden, political editor with news.com.au. Welcome to the party room. Thank you for having me. Hey, Sam, you broke the story a couple of weeks ago now about the former Liberal staffer, Brittany Higgins, uh, who claimed she was raped in the office of Senior Government Minister Linda Reynolds. Since then, there's just sort of new chapter after new chapter. Most alarmingly, this week, two more women coming forward with very similar allegations of sexual assault by the same man. When you wrote your initial story, did you know there was more behind this, more to come? No, I absolutely didn't. Brittany Higgins didn't know that either. Um, You know, those women have emerged and I think that was a shock and a surprise to her. I mean, obviously it's distressing to hear that other people are saying that they've had similar experiences. And particularly distressing because at least one of those claims uh, is that this young woman said she was uh, raped after Brittany Higgins' assault. Um, In other words, if perhaps if it had been dealt with differently at the time, she would have been spared that horrible, horrible thing. Um, and that takes us to the politics of this. And there's a lot of you know questions around the political dimension of this, which keeps getting more problematic for the Prime Minister, I think, Sam, doesn't it? I mean, now we've learned that Peter Dutton, the Home Affairs Minister, was told of these allegations of rape days before the story broke publicly, but he didn't think it was appropriate to tell the Prime Minister. Yeah, and look, there's reasons why he might not, and, and I can see uh, those reasons, but I think what of are all those the reasons? people... Well, what happened is that Brittany Higgins went to see the Australian Federal Police after she quit on February the 5th. She went to see them around that date to basically say what would happen if I wanted to consider restarting it, what would be the process, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so when it emerged in Parliament this week that the Australian Federal Police had tipped off Peter Dutton, my mind immediately turned to that meeting. I knew that it happened and I thought, well, that is a possibility. But the thing I couldn't quite understand is why would the police inform Peter Dutton this time of a potential sensitive investigation but not last time in 2019? Now, we need to get to the bottom of that. Peter Dutton seems to be saying that it's possibly that the rules changed a bit, but Basically what happens is when the AFP is investigating what it deems a sensitive matter, and that could be even investigating a journalist or a politician or a staffer, it goes to what is called a sensitive investigations oversight board that's chaired by their deputy commissioner who runs investigations. And basically, completely unbeknownst to Brittany Higgins, which is a bit scary because she was worried, you know, given that the government Mm. and ministers and who knew and all the rest of it, completely unbeknownst by her, the, the simple act of going to the police and saying, I'm thinking of restarting this, what are my options? Nobody told her that that would trigger this process and that that would trigger Peter Dutton being told. Now, Peter Dutton was clearly of the view, well, I've been tipped off, there's an investigation, I don't interfere with it, I don't interrupt it, I don't do anything that could stymie it. So for that reason, I can see reasons why he might not tell the Prime Minister's office uh, because it's, you know, you also have to protect the privacy of the alleged victim. But then what he seems to be saying is when I put the questions in on the Friday, the 12th, the next day, that he said to his chief staff, all right, you better tell the PMO. So that's when they told the Prime Minister's office. And so now I think... You know, the heat's really on the Prime Minister's office Mm. because you have a situation where they had a query from me with heaps of questions. They had this tip-off from Peter Dutton's office. They spent the whole weekend talking to, you know, the Chief of Staff, the former Chief of Staff of Linda Reynolds, who's now working in the office, the Principal Private Secretary, other people. There was at least five or six people in the office that knew about my inquiry over the weekend that were trying to respond to it. And no one saw fit to tell the Prime Minister And he says that he didn't know until my story was published at 8am on Monday morning. Which seems extraordinary still, right? No, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, that puts the Prime Minister, if that is the case, in a pretty unusual situation where he's like responding fresh without any briefing, any information to what is a, a very, very damaging story. And and never mind the political dimension of it, it's also a very serious story of an alleged crime in your workplace. And so, yeah, it leaves him sort of, you know, uh, unarmed and naked, if you like, when he has to face the questions. But it it also, what does it say about the place that the boss isn't told of a very, very serious crime being alleged? Well, on the Tuesday, after the story was published in the Monday, he was asked in a press conference, do you run a don't ask, don't tell government? And he said, good question. I've told the people involved I'm not happy about it because it does look like a don't ask, don't tell government, doesn't it? It does, right? Like if you've got all of these questions coming in, all of these people, you know, the list of people that either knew that Brittany was claiming she was assaulted includes Linda Reynolds from 2019, Michaela Cash on her own evidence from February the 5th, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the Department of Parliamentary Services, the police, the AFP commissioner. Now we've got Peter Dutton on February the 11th. Like, there's so many people that knew about this, but no one thought fit to text or call the Prime Minister. It's hard to avoid the idea that they either didn't think it was a big deal, they thought it would be a one-day wonder, and that it wasn't important enough to tell the Prime Minister. Now, he's clearly saying that it was and he's not happy about it, but you've got to ask yourself some questions about the culture, mm. you know, that, mm. that got us there. Yeah. Now, Sam, the government's response on this has changed through the week, I think. We've seen the Prime Minister announce 
the inquiry into workplace culture and the coalition led by the WA Liberal MP Celia Hammond will be rolled into a broader independent investigation into Parliament House workplace practices. Celia Hammond has said it needs to be part of an independent review. Where are we at with all these investigations now? Well, look, I mean, they're rolling. I wouldn't expect them to report back in two weeks. You know, they're obviously seeking advice and and all the rest of it, which I think is a good thing. Look, maybe I'm a little naive. I do get the impression that the Prime Minister wants to engage in good faith with these processes. He gave an interesting speech uh, on Thursday morning at the International Women's Day event um, about these issues Nobody's perfect. Obviously, people got a bit cranky with him saying in the beginning that he was, you know, he'd thought about it as a father and he'd spoken about it with his wife. I suppose you can hang criticism on on him for that. But I mean, I'm glad that he did talk about it with his wife and that he is thinking about it and he is trying to roll it around his head. I think that's a good thing. He might not be perfect, but I do think he is trying to engage with the issues. It goes to that point, though, if he'd been told earlier, these things could have been kicked off earlier. I mean, I'm glad the Celia Hammond inquiry isn't going ahead. That was an internal inquiry. That was the initial response from Scott Morrison. And, and Celia Hammond, thankfully, has said to him, look, it's actually not inappropriate. Not appropriate. We do an internal one. We've got this external independent one coming. This should be a part of that. So she's depoliticised that in a sense to some extent. That's good. Um, but I, I still think, though, Sam, there's an awful lot of talk going on, but nothing actually changing yet. I don't understand why still we don't have a person named to be running this independent inquiry. Everything fingers pointing at Kate Jenkins. Why don't they just appoint her, the sex discrimination uh, commissioner, to do that and start acting, moving on something? Maybe I've got a different view on that. I think they've got to get the right person. I don't know enough about that. I don't know whether she, is she available, is she not available. I don't know. You know, look, I think it is fine to take the time to do things properly and to get someone who's got the time required to devote to the task. Um, I would rather that they get it right than they get it fast. Now, let's talk about, um, you, you mentioned, you know, the, all the people who did know and the sort of answers they've provided. The Defence Minister, Linda Reynolds, was met to front the press club on Wednesday. We're recording this Thursday morning. Um, she didn't front the press club on the basis of advice from a cardiologist. She spent the night in hospital uh, and obviously everyone hopes that she gets better and, um, you know, there is, I think, broad levels of compassion for her situation. You know, parking that and, and the very human response we will have to that, there are still questions she has to answer. What She gave misleading statements, didn't she, Sam? Yeah, she did. And look, I mean, maybe she'll say that the health emergency essentially that she had had something to do with that because she was, I don't know, she was very confused in the Senate on the day before she was admitted to hospital on the Tuesday. I mean, I couldn't understand what she was saying because she, she basically, out of the blue, started claiming that she'd had two meetings with the AFP, which mm. she'd never had before, which is wrong. She never did. She said that she'd had a meeting with the AFP with Brittany Higgins, which is wrong. She never did. And she said that she had a meeting with Brittany Higgins with the AFP on April 1, which she never did. Uh, so there were three things that she got wrong. She did put a letter in that night, but she, she misled the Senate like open and shut right and mm. i don't and she really got it totally confused I, I is getting a confused an excuse for misleading the senate i don't know in the olden days you misled parliament and you resigned yeah in the olden days, you oh, did. But oh, I, I don't think you have to resign over that, though, if it's a general confusion. I mean, it's no, completely but, wrong. No, 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 it's I'm a pretty more big confusion. No, 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 it is a big confusion. I'm, but if she if she actually says, oh, 
God, I completely misremembered that and but fixed how did it straight she away. Misremember that? Well, I don't understand, but as Sam said, maybe it was something to do with her health condition. I'm more troubled by the sort of the gaps in the stories and the responses that are still they're not fixed, the yeah. gaps in, in and the... Look, the... Look, this is obviously a very boutique complaint, but some officers have been very good to deal with during this process. I mean, I've actually found the Prime Minister's office very good to deal with, but um, the Defence Minister's office and uh, the Home Affairs Minister's office, Peter Dutton, have been very difficult to deal with for journalists. They just don't return calls. So they've got multiple taxpayer-funded press secretaries mm. and they just don't return calls. Linda Reynolds is a bit better, but... Um, Dutton's office just will not return anyone's calls. And I've seen complaints in stories, the old Fairfax 9 SMH papers, saying that they won't return their calls, they won't return Network 10's calls. And so I just think that's a problematic culture if you've got a an office with Peter Dutton has three press secretaries and they are so contemptuous of the press that they refuse to return their phone calls. I mean, that's their job. Sam, against this backdrop, while all this is going on, a really serious, important debate about how to deal with sexual assault and the culture in Parliament House, we've now got the former Liberal MP Craig Kelly, PK and I were talking about his resignation from the Liberal Party earlier. He's on the crossbench and he's refused to stand down his senior staffer, Frank Zumbo, who's uh, being, uh, Mm. there's an AVO uh, in place uh, over Frank Zumbo put in place by the New South Wales Police over allegations of inappropriate behaviour towards women. He's denied all of this, Frank Zumbo has. No charges have been laid yet. Craig Kelly says he doesn't need to stand him down because everyone's entitled to be regarded as innocent until they're proven guilty. But from the Prime Minister down, they've made it clear that this guy should be not employed by Craig Kelly. These allegations from and accusations from young women have been bubbling around, apparently, we now know, for some years, and Craig Kelly is standing by him like this. What does this say about the... says everything, well, doesn't it, about the culture? You said that, you know, the Prime Minister's made it clear to Craig Kelly. My question would be, has he? Because Craig mm. Kelly's saying that the Prime Minister's been quite elliptical about it. Mm. Right? So Craig Kelly sort of says that the Prime Minister said words to the effect of, you know, you might want to have a think about this. Like, I can't remember, recall the exact yeah, phraseology, yeah, right. but it was not it was not blunt and direct, that guy's got to go. So the public position of the Prime Minister is, I told him, I told him that guy's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then you go to see Craig Kelly and you get the impression that the Prime Minister was a little more elliptical, which is exactly the situation, remember, we had when the Prime Minister's had hauled him in for a dressing down. So last time we were told that he'd hauled him in for a dressing down and then Craig Kelly's like, oh, no, he didn't really tell me to stop. He just, you know, yeah, we had like, a, it was all a bit funny. And, then, nice and chat, then he had to tell Mike. him a second time. So I think sometimes the Prime Minister um, takes with a bit of an egg beater to what he's told someone later. Does that make sense? Okay, oh, yeah, the bigger point, isn't the bigger point, though, that Craig Kelly is standing by this guy on the basis that he's had a word with him and word to women in his office and, you know, he thinks everything's uh, fine, makes sense to him, and he's going to not pull the rug out from under him unless there's a criminal charge, and is suggesting he's never heard of this until recently, which is just patently untrue. Well, you know, look, I mean, it kind of, in some ways, it comes back to the underlying whole thing about ministerial staff, right, yep. At the or, or MP staff in this case. At the end of the day, they are employed by the MP. The contract is co-signed by the Department of Finance. The Department of Finance has very limited ability to get involved in that. And the Prime Minister can't really direct Craig Kelly uh, to do anything, let alone now that he's an independent, right? Now, I mean, good luck getting the Liberal Party to 
tell Mr Kelly who he can hire and fire now because he's, <laughs> yeah, he's not part of the show anymore. No, see you later, alligator. Look, in the last few days, Labor has been keeping off the airwaves, I've noticed, we've noticed on our shows, leaving the government to sort of, well, their attempt was to leave the government to wallow in these these problems to put the sort of blowtorch on the government instead. But is there a point, Sam, when Labor will need to account for the culture and the practices and the possible allegations on their side as well? We know Emma Hussar raised some issues this week saying, hang on a minute, we've got a problem too, a culture problem. The Prime Minister quoted Louise Milligan, our colleague here at the ABC Four Corners reporter, who, who did a story on the culture in Parliament House, a comment she made in this piece in relation to the Labor side of politics. So there is a sort of equivalence he's trying to create, saying, hey, you've got problems too. Are those problems going to become an issue? Yeah, at some point, I imagine. I mean, look, at the end of the day, when the Prime Minister says that across the dispatch box, which he's done a couple of times now, that's a threat, right? It's a threat where he's basically saying, well, I've got dirt on you, right? And, you know, I have no doubt that there are similar issues that exist in Labor ranks because I've heard stories from women. They're not necessarily stories that of women who want to come forward or want to put it on the record. I can't force them to do that. Like, they need to make those decisions themselves. I know there's a lot of discussions on these issues in, you know, Facebook chat groups of former Labor staffers and people talking about these things. And I don't suggest for a minute this is an issue restricted to the Liberal Party. I mean, this is a society yes. wide issue, right, that happens in all sorts of workplaces and organisations, uh, sadly, all the time. But I think it is kind of put on steroids a bit sometimes in Parliament House because of the combination of the hugely intense, combative, aggressive environment that politics and parliaments naturally are, intersecting with what you, you know, we're calling the MOPSAC in shorthand was essentially the working conditions of these staff and how powerless they are and how they can be hired and fired at a whim of a politician that they're sacked when their job, when their boss gets promoted, demoted or whatever. So they're completely at the whim of these people and that makes them very frightened to speak out. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sam. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and, and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. The bells are ringing. That means it's question time. And this week's question comes from Richard, who writes... Does the PM's area of knowledge acquisition stop at his office door? Isn't the cabinet room or even the party room of equal standing when it comes to communications? Fran? Uh, Well, that's a good question. Yes, of course it is. You'd think even better than equal, I would have thought. I imagine there's conversations that go on around the cabinet table that we never hear of and that are very frank and open and probably even prime ministerial staff, the most senior of them, don't know of. You'd like to think so. I think if what you're getting at, Richard, here is all these questions about why didn't the prime minister's staff, his chief of staff, who are allegedly and, and others who who knew about the allegations of rape two years ago in the office of, of Linda Reynolds, why they didn't tell the prime minister. Uh, look, that's the answers to that are unclear. The Prime Minister insists he didn't know. We now know that not only did his staff not tell him, his minister, Linda Reynolds, didn't tell him, his cabinet minister, Michaela Cash, didn't tell him, and his cabinet colleague, as we've been discussing, Peter Dutton, didn't tell him. And that is, to me, inexplicable. The the Prime Minister in this country is, you know, first amongst equals in the around the cabinet table. That's how this 
position is regarded and I just, for the life of me really, don't understand why um, this hasn't been told, to, conveyed to the Prime Minister because you'd think it's a, it's a very serious crime that's being alleged here. Labor's, of course, talking about this, you know, uh, don't ask, don't tell kind of culture. Mm. But uh, if that's the reason, well, I still don't understand because these are traps. Mm. These are traps for leaders to not know what's coming, isn't mm. it? Isn't that right, Picker? Seems a little weird to me. Uh, <laughs> yes, but the old, uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell. If so, better to keep him not knowing, so that you know you don't get yourself into a pickle. Well, a pickle has been created. There's a pretty big pickle. Uh, you'd hope that all these reviews and overhauls and um, you know serious, concerning looks, or everyone looking like they care. So so much, would create a new culture uh, where the Prime Minister must know, must be told, must, if this awful thing is to ever happen again or anything even, you know, nearing it, um, that has got to be what happens as a consequence of this. So keep your questions coming. That was a great one, Richard. Thank you. We love getting your messages. You can tweet us using the hashtag ThePartyRoom or email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. And if you love listening to The Party Room, and we hope you do, check out the ABC podcast, Matters of State. It's your guide to the polls, plans and promises you'll hear ahead of the WA state election. Listen for free on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it from us and The Party Room this week. We will be back in your feeds next week. See you, PK. See you, Fran. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.